We are starting a new series today. Uh, yeah. Oh, children. Yeah. All right. Uh, if you guys would like to, you're welcome to stay here, but we have Children's Church during the sermon. Um, Sarah is going to be teaching you guys a lesson um, about uh, Jesus, and um, we have a blessing that we send out our children with, and EJ's going with you. Awesome. Um, this is a reminder for us as a church that we love children. Uh, we don't think that children are the next generation of the church. We think that children are part of the church now. And so we want to pray for them and encourage them and let them know that we love them. And so this blessing is a call and response. I've got a part to play. You guys have a part to play. And kids, you also have a part to play. So I'm going to say uh, the first line, people of God, what is our prayer for these children? Adults, you will respond. May the Lord be with you. And then kids, you can shout, and also with you. All right. Everyone ready? Okay. All right. Hey, people of God, what is our prayer for these children? All right. Have a great time down there. Thank you, Sarah, for teaching our little ones. All right. So we are starting a new series on discipleship, uh, on what does it mean to follow Jesus. Um, the word disciple, I mean, that's all it means, is to follow Jesus, to be a student of who he is. Every Christian is called to be a disciple. That's just another one of the roles that we have. The Bible calls us ambassadors for Christ. The Bible calls us part of the family of God. The Bible calls us disciples, students of Jesus. And so we're going to take the next about seven weeks to walk through what does it mean to be a disciple? What does Jesus say about being a disciple? And what are the rhythms or the habits uh, that help us along the way as we are disciples of Jesus? And so this morning we're looking at Luke chapter 9. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you, there should be a red one underneath your seat nearby. If you're going to use the red one, um, it is on page 506. We're going to look at verses 57 through 62. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and Birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another one said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we hear from you what it means to follow you. And we pray through your spirit, Lord, that you would convict us of the weightiness of that and the priority that you place on that. Lord, expose areas of our life in which we need to grow in our discipleship. And Lord, if we find ourselves 
off of the road that you're walking on, may you bring us back. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I left my sermon on the chair, so I'm going to grab that for a second. Uh, Would you close your eyes? What comes to mind when I ask you to think of hell? Perhaps uh, the cartoonish red devil with the trident comes to mind. Or, Or maybe lines from the poem by Dante called The Inferno come to mind. Maybe there's flames. You know, Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew says that the wicked will be cast into the furnace of fire where there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth and everlasting fire. Maybe you picture cold, dark, and emptiness. What do you think of when you think of hell? You can open your eyes now. Now, we're not talking about hell today. That's another sermon. Uh, But we are talking about what it means to follow Jesus. And I start by asking you what you think about hell because unfortunately, for some, maybe even for you, the invitation to follow Jesus has been posed to you as a way to escape hell. I read recently a story of an eight-year-old boy who was at home watching Tom and Jerry And this one particular episode had a depiction of hell, and it terrified the kid. You know, something that was made to cause laughter, it it scared him. And so that Sunday, the boy went to church, and he asked his Sunday school teacher about hell. And the Sunday school teacher, in talking with him, said, you don't want to go to hell, do you? And the boy unsurprisingly said, no, of course not. And so the teacher said, all right. Would you like to know how to escape hell? Would you like to know how not to go to hell? The boy said yes. And so the teacher invited the boy to pray this prayer, uh, to invite Jesus into his heart, and to escape hell. Perhaps you have had an experience like that. Maybe not that exact experience, but maybe for you, when you were invited to follow Jesus, it was a way to escape hell. Maybe you said something like, dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. I know that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I ask for you to come into my life. Save me from my sins. Amen. Afterward, the teacher said to the boy, son, you are saved from your sins. You don't ever have to worry about hell again. Is that what it means to follow Jesus? This like... is get out of hell free card that you keep in your pocket that you pull out at the end of your life and say, look, I prayed the prayer. Is that what it means to follow Jesus? No. We all know the answer is no. But I wonder if if we've made following Jesus to be something that's too easy. Maybe it was a prayer like that. Maybe it was a... um, a a retreat that you went to and you had this emotional experience or maybe you hit rock bottom and changed a corner in your life. I, I don't know what the Lord has done in your life and how he's revealed himself to you. I don't know your story, but I do wonder if we've offered Jesus to people, to ourselves, in a way that's too easy. And I'm not trying to say that you have to, like, work to follow Jesus. 
We are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. It is offered to us as a free gift that we receive, not based on any merit of our own. We cannot achieve it. We receive it by grace. It is nothing that we have done. It is everything that Jesus has done for us. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what Jesus is saying in this passage. Because Jesus seems to say that to follow him is hard. He's almost trying to persuade these people not to follow him. I mean, I don't think he's really saying, don't follow me. He's trying to show them how difficult it is to be a disciple. He's raising the bar on what it means to be a disciple. According to Jesus, being his disciple is not easy. I hope at the end of this time together this morning, you'll say that too. To follow Jesus is not easy. But I hope that you'll also say, but it's worth it. It's worth it. As we look through this passage, we're going to see what is the call to discipleship and what is the cost of discipleship. And we're going to ask a couple concluding questions, but that's where we're going. What is the call of discipleship, and what is the cost of discipleship? Well, first, the call of discipleship is to follow Jesus. Three times in this passage, we see following Jesus repeated again and again and again. Two times, individuals come and say, Jesus, we want to follow you. And then one time, Jesus calls a third guy and says, hey, I want you to follow me. The call of discipleship is as plain as that, following Jesus. Being a disciple of him is to follow him. That word disciple uh, means to be a student, to, to sit at his feet and learn from him. In that ancient context, to be a disciple was not exclusive to Jesus. Any rabbi who, who taught from the Hebrew Bible had disciples. Individuals who would, from maybe a young age, come and say, I want to learn from you. I want to learn what you have to say. I want to learn to say it also. I want to learn your interpretation of the Bible. I want to be your student. This would happen all the time. The hope is that one day this boy would grow up and become a rabbi even himself or a leader of the community and say, I know what the Bibles teach. I know how to interpret it. I know how to teach other people. And then they would have their own disciples. It's similar to like apprenticeship today, um, where someone has a trade or a skill or a business and then hires an apprentice who comes to sit at their feet and learn from them and learn the different ways to do the job, uh, hopefully one day getting opportunities to do it themselves, and then one day have their own practice. That's what to be a disciple is in the Old Testament or in the New Testament here, we see to be a disciple is to learn about Jesus. To be a disciple of Jesus is not just to learn about Jesus, but to learn all of the stories of Jesus and what he taught. To learn even the stories that prepared the way for Jesus. It's to learn about the God whom Jesus called Father. It's to learn about the one that the Father said, this is my son, listen to him. It's to learn who Jesus is, but also to know him, like a relationship. But it's also to learn what he did and begin to do it yourself, too. 
You know, Jesus commissions his disciples to go and preach about the kingdom. He, he sent them ahead of him into the villages before him to say, hey, go preach about the kingdom. Prepare the way for me. Jesus went about healing people of diseases, casting out demons. He's given his disciples authority to heal. I mean, maybe miraculously, but at least physically and materially to help people who are hurting, to walk beside people who are spiritually struggling and say, let me point you to the truth. Let me walk beside you on this process of healing. But to be a disciple of Jesus is not just to know about him or to do what he does. It's actually to become like him in character. And the hope is that by spending time with Jesus, we start to become like Jesus. As the Spirit of Christ dwells within us, the prayer and hope and expectation is that the Spirit of Christ begins to produce the fruit of the Spirit within us. So that when we see Jesus, who is gentle and lowly, that we become gentle and lowly. When we see Jesus become compassionate and welcoming the outsiders, that we become people who are compassionate and welcome outsiders. To be a disciple of Jesus is to know him, to do what he does, and to become like him. That's the call of discipleship. But there is something different about what's happening with Jesus compared to when we think about apprenticeship today. Because in, in those days, to be a student of a rabbi, you literally would walk in the footsteps of the rabbi. You'd walk right behind him. You'd go wherever he went. You'd do whatever he would do. You would begin to say whatever he would say. That's why in uh, verse 57, you see this wannabe disciple say, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Like, I'm, I'm willing to walk where you walk. I'm willing to go where you go, do what you do, say what you say. But Jesus is no ordinary rabbi. He's no ordinary teacher. His school of discipleship is no ordinary school. He knows what lies ahead of him. And so he responds in verse 58. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus says, if you really want to follow me, if you really want to be my disciple, you better be ready to go through what I'm going to go through. I'm going to be rejected. Are you ready to be rejected? I'm going to be dependent upon the hospitality of others. I'm not going to have a home. Are you willing to be dependent upon others and their hospitality? I'm going to be ridiculed for claiming to be God. Are you ready to be ridiculed for my name's sake? I'm going to be betrayed by one of my closest friends. Are you ready to be betrayed by people you love? Jesus says, I am committed to this journey that leads to the cross. Are you committed to following me there? That's what it comes down to, commitment. Are you ready to commit to Jesus and his kingdom and his mission. Commitment is just, is, is always choosing the thing that you're committed to. Like in a marriage, like marriage, we talk about love, and that's not just emotions. 
A marriage is commitment. It's choosing your spouse over everything else, everyone else. To follow Jesus is to commit to him, to choose him, even when it won't be easy or comfortable. Are you ready for that? Suppose he were to lead you to a work opportunity that would mean that your income was lower, uh, that your prospects in life were uncertain, that your accustomed standard of living was non-existent. Would you choose to follow him there or not? Suppose he were to ask you to do something for his kingdom, for his mission, that people from your background or your family or your community simply don't do. They would look at you and laugh. Maybe he's calling you to be a missionary overseas. Maybe he would call you to go to seminary, go into vocational ministry. Maybe he's calling you to open up your home to a single person who needs family. Maybe he's calling you to plant a church. Maybe he calls you to befriend the lonely. Maybe he's calling you to spend time with your neighbor instead of your siblings. Would you choose to follow him, commitment to him, even when it's not easy or comfortable? To be a follower of Jesus means choosing him and his kingdom and his mission over all other things. That's the call to discipleship, to follow him. But now let's look at the cost, because I sort of hinted at there at the end. It does come with a cost. After this first encounter, Jesus talks with the other two would-be disciples, who each in, in their turn qualify their willingness to follow Jesus by saying this, hey, let me first go do something else. The first guy says, hey, let me first go bury my dad. The other guy says, hey, let me first go home and say goodbye to my family. Now, when we look at Jesus' response, especially to the guy who says, let me go bury my dad, it can come off as harsh, Right? I mean, like, why would Jesus say this? Let the dead bury their own dead? It sounds like Jesus is saying, leave behind family obligations and responsibilities. Like, those are important. It was okay, according to the law, if a loved one died to disregard the Sabbath and other ritual things and obligations in order to take care of the family. I mean, in the Ten Commandments, it says, honor your father and mother. It was totally appropriate for someone to say, hey, let me go take care of my family business. So is Jesus being harsh here? Most commentaries are in agreement that this question, let me go bury my father, he's actually, the, the dad is not yet dead. If the father was dead, this man would not be with Jesus at this time. He'd be with his family. Most people think that this man has an old father, maybe he's sick, and soon he's going to die. And this man says, Jesus, I want to follow you, but I don't know when I can do that. Let me go first, be with my family. I don't know how long it's going to take. I got to get things in order. I got to figure out what my mom's going to do got to figure out the family business first. I got to put things in place before I can follow you. 
It is an indefinite postponement in following Jesus. Look, this sounds harsh because it goes against what we think the Bible would tell us to do. Honor your father, love your family, put aside religious duty for the sake of your family. But what Jesus is saying here is that following him, being part of his family, joining his mission, that comes first. It comes first above all things, including these family obligations. A great example of this, again, to talk about marriage, is when a married couple first gets married. The first several months or years of that marriage, it's going to be difficult dealing with in-laws. Because before they were married, the husband and wife, like, you know, in a more traditional family background, like, the only obligations they had were to their own parents. And so it was the parents that set the agendas and the obligations and the customs and the traditions. But now, when these two people come together, they're forming a new family, new relationships, new traditions, new obligations. Their needs, by necessity, to be a reorganization of priorities in that household. If the husband or the wife were to neglect those primary relationships and sort of supersede and go to mom and dad instead of going to the spouse, that would be to neglect that family. It'd be to neglect that new relationship. It would disrupt it. It would hurt it. When we choose to follow Jesus, we are entering into a new relationship, a new family that by necessity requires us to reorganize our priorities, to put him above all else, even our natural families, but other things too. This is what Jesus is saying. You have to reorganize your values, your responsibilities, and your priorities. I come first. I come before your friends, I come before your family, I come before your work, I come before your comfort. You have joined a new family in me. Now, praise God that most people begin to follow Jesus within the context of a family that also follow Jesus. And so, therefore, the extreme case that Jesus gives us is not often the case for us that we do, in fact, get to have God and family in that order, and that typically works really well. And I'm so thankful for that. But I don't think that it is a stretch to ask whether or not following Jesus is a top priority as it pertains to following Jesus in this church. Like in this context, the local body of Christ following Jesus, being part of his kingdom and his mission right here. Is that a top priority for you? Maybe another way to ask this question is, like when you sit down on Sunday and think through your weekly schedule, or at the beginning of the month, you're planning out your calendar, and you've got all these events and activities and meals and gatherings and what have you coming, vying for your attention. You're trying to fill out your calendar. Where does Jesus fall in those lists of priorities for you as you determine what your schedule is going to be? 
where does Story Church fit in those priorities? When we have an event, when we have dinner, when we have a gathering, whether that's Sunday morning or Thursday or a city event, where does your church family fall on the list of priorities? Following Jesus, according to Jesus, is not easy. There is a high demand. It does require us to give something up to follow him. Like, it's no coincidence that these three examples talk about homes. They talk about family. They, Jesus says no one who puts a, their hand to the plow and turns back is fit for, for the kingdom. He talks about work. Look, property and family and vocation, these are our top obligations in life. It's not a coincidence that these are the three things that he says. Are you willing to give these up for me? There is a cost to following me. If you want to follow Jesus, if you want to be part of what he is about, if you want to be part of his mission, if you want to be part of his church, if you want to be like him and do what he wants you to do, then you need to be willing to give up these things and put him at the top of your list. You have to be willing to give up everything for him. That is the cost of discipleship. When Sarah and I were in India uh, as missionaries, one of our teammates met uh, this college freshman. Her name was Surabi. Now, Surabi uh, was Hindu. And her mom was Hindu and her dad was Hindu. Her sister was Hindu. Her aunts and uncles and grandparents and cousins were Hindu. This was, this was her whole life. She'd go to the temple with her family They'd offer prayers and give alms and offer sacrifices together. She knew the stories from her Hindu uh, holy books. She knew why there was evil in the world and what the gods were going to do with it. She knew what she was supposed to do to be a good person. She understood that if you respect one another and respect the world around you, well, the world is going to respect you back. But if you don't, well, you're going to get what's coming for you. But one of my teammates met Soderby and became friends with her and over time was able to introduce her to Jesus. They opened up the Bible together and began to read stories about who Jesus was, what he had done for her, began to invite her to see what her life could look like if only she trusted in him. And this piqued her interest. Like she started coming around our team. She started coming to church with us on Sundays. She wanted to have her own Bible, so we got her a Bible. She wanted to know, what does it mean for me to pray to Jesus? But there came a point in this relationship where Serbi realized if she was going to follow Jesus, if, if she wanted to have her sins forgiven, if she wanted to have everlasting joy, it was going to mean that she would have to give up everything. For her to follow Jesus would mean her family would reject her. Her community would reject her. It would mean that her future was gone, at least how she had planned it before. Everything about her life would have to change if she wanted to follow Jesus. She did. 
She trusted in Jesus for her salvation. She was baptized. She started coming around to our prayer meetings and started sharing the gospel of Jesus with her classmates. It was wonderful. But then her friends started rejecting her. And her parents said, hey, you can't go to church with these Americans anymore. And then they found her Bible and threw it away. And then they took her out of school and sent her to her cousin's village to say, you need to stop this. And so Surabi, far from her Christian community, having given up everything for Jesus, the only place that she had by herself was in her bathroom. It was the only place of privacy, and she would sit there on the floor while the shower was running, crying and praying and reciting the Bible in her head because that's all she had left. Surabi gave up everything to follow Jesus because she knew that it would cost her, but she also knew that Jesus was worth it. That's the question that Jesus is asking us here. Yes, following me is not easy. Yes, following me is going to cost you something. But my question is, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it worth following Jesus? We like to say at Story Church that the story of Jesus is the only one that offers real forgiveness. Do you want freedom from guilt and shame from your sin, from your past, from the thing that you're stuck in even now? Do you want that? Yes, it's worth it. We say it's the only story that offers us a real identity, a new identity given to us. Are you tired of trying to come up with who you are? by achieving at work or in your social communities? Are you tired of trying to form an identity based on what you can do? It is worth it to trust in Jesus. We say it's the only story that offers lasting transformation. Like, Are you tired of trying and trying and trying to change your life but going nowhere? Jesus is offering that to us. Yes, it's worth it. Look around you as you're driving home today. There are hundreds or thousands of neighbors in our communities who are day after day living life apart from the joy of a relationship with Jesus. And we, together with the other churches in this area, have this great privilege to share Jesus with them, to bring them from death to life, so that when they close their eyes, they do not picture hell but when they close their eyes, they feel the warm embrace of their heavenly father. Is it worth it to follow Jesus? Yes. The other question is, is he worth it? Is Jesus worth giving up everything for? I want to conclude with this story. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus shares this brief parable about a man who's working in a field and he finds in this field a buried treasure. And this treasure is priceless. And so in his joy, he goes home and sells everything he has so that he can buy this field. It did not matter to this man that he gave up everything because he knew that what he was gaining was far more valuable than anything he ever had before. Jesus is worth it. He is that treasure. He is more valuable than anything you could ever imagine 
anything you could ever work for, anything that you've ever had before. I love what the missionary Jim Elliott said in his journal before giving his life for the mission and kingdom of God. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. Friends, here at Story Church, we have a big mission, and that is to invite our neighbors into a new story that is shaped by Jesus. Is that mission worth giving up everything for? Is following Jesus on that mission worth giving up things for? If the answer is yes, then commit to it. Choose it over other things. Choose to be part of the church, whether that's Story Church or another church. That doesn't matter to me. If the mission of Jesus is worth it, commit to his church. Become a member of his church. Participate in his church. Sign up to serve in the nursery in his church. Tell your friends about your faith and invite them to church. If Jesus is worth it for you, then he is certainly worth it for your neighbors too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you